0: modular system. It's easy to move. It's flexible. You can probably do more multi-quadrant operations at higher volume. You know, it's lower cost. You know, we have to talk about value-based healthcare. Not everyone can afford, you know, a really expensive robot that has all the sort of complex devices like staplers and, and things like that. So, you know, you've got to think, how can you bring robotics to the mass population? And, you know, we live in a constrained society with cost of living crisis at the moment. So this sort of platform can develop robotics in 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 centers like like ours.
1: Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the Less Invasive Podcast, your source for minimally invasive surgery, robotics, and other assistive technologies for the operating room and radiology environment. If you haven't done already, please take five minutes to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, uh, maybe write a little review, and share with a friend that will help uh, this content reach more people. Uh, Today, uh, this show is reaching uh, thousands of people in over 40 countries, uh, mostly Europe and North America, but uh, also Middle East, uh, Asia, Latin America, and Africa. I'm your host, Lucien Bordel, co-founder and CTO of Quantum Surgical, a startup commercializing the EPN robot for pacotinous tumor ablation. I bring to the table 20 years of experience in imaging and robotics for various specialties, orthopedics, neurosurgery, spine surgery, interventional radiology, and interventional oncology. Today I'm very excited uh, to have Dr. Vanash Patel on the show. So Dr. Patel is a board certified general surgeon with a specialist interest in colorectal surgery practicing in London and Hertfordshire in England. Uh, He has been uh, using the Versus robot from British company CMR Surgical uh, for quite some time, Uh, started in uh, July or August last year. And uh, we'll talk talk about that. So this uh, new robot for soft tissue surgery has been launched in 2019. And today there are over 100 units installed uh, across Europe Uh, but also Asia, Australia, Latin America, and the Middle East. And the specialties uh, in which this robot is used are gynecology, colorectal, thoracic general, and urology. We'll talk about the Versus robot, uh, feedbacks from early clinical experience, of course, uh, the purchasing process, and more. Vanash, thank you very much for making time for me today. How are you?
0: Uh, Very well. Thank you, Lucien, for inviting me on the show. Uh, very happy to be here and talk about Versius
1: and, and and our robotics program at West Hearts. Well, yeah, I mean uh, many people are very eager to listen to this uh, to this episode. So the audience of this podcast is kind of a mix of uh, medtech industry people and uh, physicians in various specialties, and uh, they want to learn about uh, Versius from a surgeon who has been using this system from uh, more than six months now. But before we talk about Versius, can you briefly introduce yourself to the audience?
0: Yeah, so, so my is Vanish Patel. I'm a consultant colorectal surgeon. Um, I trained in London, um, uh, did fellowships in, in um, London teaching hospitals and eventually got my consultant job at West Hertfordshire Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust. Uh, predominantly, my practice is colorectal cancer. Um, and prior to robotics, uh, I was doing my colorectal cancer resections laparoscopically. Okay. um in our in our unit we achieved um a laparoscopic rate of 97% for all our colorectal cancer resections um, and now we've translated that uh, 97% laparoscopic rate uh to hopefully a 97 98% robotics rate in the future um so we've managed to train our entire colorectal unit in robotic surgery um and we're pre- we're, pre- we're trying to do all our, our colorectal cancers robotically now
1: Okay, cool. Thanks. So, uh, you are uh, both an NHS consultant and you also have a private practice. Who are your uh, patients in terms of demographics and pathologies, and and what are the most common procedures that you perform, uh, either laparoscopically or now in the future robotically?
0: So, so m- most of my procedures that I perform. Uh, so, if I talk pre-robotics, um, it's all done laparoscopically. It was colorectal cancer. Um, and some benign conditions such as inflammatory bowel disease uh, including Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis Um, uh, and uh, that that was the sort of the elective part of my practice in terms of emergency part of my practice then we were doing sort in the common general surgical emergencies like appendicectomies, um, Hartman's resection for diverticular disease, um, small bowel obstruction um, and uh, in my private practice, it's predominantly, um, you know, still doing colorectal cancer, but also doing general surgical elective uh, operations like hernias and proctology hemorrhoids, fistulas.
1: Okay, thanks. So uh, in the previous episode with, uh, with Anos Dua, we talked about uh, conventional laparoscopy and the challenges. So we, we we won't talk about that right now. And okay. we'll jump right into the topic, which is the versus robot. For those who may not know what is Versius, uh, what Versius does look like, and what does it do exactly?
0: So, so Versius is a robot um, that's you know it's manufactured by CMR Surgical. Right? So, it's it's manufactured in Cambridge, um, which is quite local to us. Uh, West Hertfordshire Hospitals Teaching and Trust in, is in Watford, and Cambridge is only about fifty or sixty miles away. So, so we call that local, and it's it's nice to have a local company that provides our robot for us. It's a um, it's a it's um, a modular system, so um, it has a console um, with a high definition three D screen uh, with the uh, control arms, which essentially look like PlayStation controllers with joysticks. Um, these control four um, bedside units. So three of the bedside units have instrument arms that can be used for instruments, and one is a visualization bedside unit, which can be used for the, which is used for the camera um and essentially what you do is you put in your um traditional laparoscopic ports in in the places that uh, are more aligned to the robotic surgery and and use the same ports you are using for your laparoscopic surgery Uh, and then you dock the robotic arms next to the patient's bedside um, and putting your instruments uh, through the ports um, you port train them through the ports uh, and you put the camera in as well uh, and, and then it's ready to go and then you sit on the sit or stand on the console um uh, uh, and begin your operation
1: okay so uh, uh i jump to the the question you mentioned that pretty much you place your ports the same way you would do uh for a conventional laparoscopy procedure there is no constraint so on port placement
0: um so so there is um, so it's not exactly the same place as your your okay. laparoscopic surgery um we use the same ports so um you know we don't have to use specialized ports that are developed, developed by the company we just still use our okay ports that we bought from other companies. Um, the port placement is very similar. Um, and actually, the more experienced you get um, with the robot, I found the port placement is um, not as important as uh, uh, as, I want, as I thought it was in my early stages of learning. So so as I've got more experience and got, got through my learning curve, the port placement for me now is not too much of an issue because I'm using more wristed movements rather than, you know, straight sticks uh, for operating. So, um, yeah, so I would say it, it's pretty much very similar to your laparoscopic operation. Um, so I haven't had to change much of how I operate. It's just, you know, and I'm sitting down on a console using a three-dimensional screen and it's, it's much more ergonomically um, better for me.
1: Okay, and, and talking about uh, ergonomics, I just uh, watched a, a live event from Arab Health uh, Trade Show where uh, someone from a uh, robotic surgical system, uh, a company that is distributing uh, the CMR uh, robot in uh, in uh, in Middle East, they, they, they demonstrated the the product and they shown they've shown how the console can uh, can work. Uh, uh either with, with the surgeon sitting uh on a chair or uh, standing up so uh, my question is did you try to operate standing up with the console, and, and what has been your feedback
0: um so actually i i've not i've not actually tried operating standing up because i prefer sitting down my colleague i was i was actually assisting my colleague this morning in theater and he was trying to stand up and operate and he found that quite comfortable as well so um personally for me i i'd prefer to sit down but um I, might, I think I might try it in the future. I don't, I don't know. It's not. I've been standing up for all these years and, and actually now I've got the opportunity to sit down and operate. So I thought I'd, I'd take that opportunity.
1: Okay. Okay. I see. I understand. So I have a question from uh, another general surgeon from Texas, Dr. Jawad Ali, who was in a previous episode. And he was saying that, uh, I mean, the DaVinci technology is a great technology, of course, but uh, the console is, uh, can be, uh, you know, when you do a, a very long procedure, it can, it, it can get uh, uncomfortable with uh, with sitting uh, in, in the Da Vinci uh, console. Uh, have you yeah. have you had uh, um, a long procedure so far in your experience with the virtues and how comfortable is that?
0: Yeah, so, so a lot of my operations are fairly long because we do we do you know sort of rectal cancer work. Um, uh, I think it's different to to the intuitive Da Vinci because it's an open platform, so you don't feel so constrained and. Um, immersed within the uh, within the robot, um, but I've not felt that that fatigue. Looking at the screen I mean, initially in my learning curve, yes, there's a lot of fatigue when you're learning. But now uh, I find it it's fine. You're just sitting there and you can talk to your colleagues and your colleagues can sit next to you and and you can talk to your theatre teams. Um, so it's fairly dynamic and fluid and. Um, you know if you're feeling tired and and you, you want to get your eyes off the screen you just stand up go into the coffee room have a coffee and come back so so that open platform really works for me um uh, you know I, I know da vinci surgeons that they also look at the da vinci and and say they actually feel more immersed in the in the operation when when they're using the periscope of the da vinci so advantage and disadvantage of both systems
1: mm-hmm. Okay. I, I mean, this, uh, this topic of open console, uh, was raised also by another surgeon, uh, on, on this podcast, a surgeon doing pelvic reconstructive surgery. And she mentioned that the uh, communication with the team was, could be quite a challenge, uh, you know, to, to, to make herself understood about, uh, where she wanted the, the scope uh, to be and, uh, what where the, the instruments and, uh, I, I I think that uh, you know the open console and the, and the smaller form factor of the Versus should uh, improve the communication. That's something you 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 started to co- talk about. How is this has been uh, working for you? How you communicate with your with your staff during the the procedure?
0: So so communication is fairly easy with the open platform because you you're actually you're the console sitting in the theatre and and you can just talk to your theatre scrub team or your um, your assistant, your surgical assistant, so, uh, and you can speak to the, uh, the anesthetist. My, uh, in fact, the natural fact my anesthetist you know sits next to me, with the anaesthetic machine is next to the console. So, so communication is not not difficult. Um, what, what is challenging is that uh, when you start your robotics program, you have a lot of people in your theatre, and it can be quite noisy. So, communication yeah. can be affected that way. um But as we've we've as as robotics has become more more of a normality in our in our Hospital, you know, less and less people come to theatre, and actually, communi- you find that communication is now is much better and much clearer with the open platform.
1: Okay, so I understand you you haven't been trained before on the on the Da Vinci system, uh, correct?
0: No, so I've had some experience during my training, um, you know, as a surgical assistant with the Da Vinci system, but I've not been formally trained on the Da Vinci system. Um, so essentially, I I would say I'm robotic naive um, mm-hmm. from from when when I started in, in July.
1: Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, another question about the ergonomics—that the, the, the one of the three D screens, three D glasses. I mean, there is a, a, a third um, a system from Metronic, the, the Hugo robot that have three uh, D goggles, and, and there can be some um, some concerns, some question about uh, how comfortable is it to have this this kind of new new way to get three uh, D vision. Did you have a, Did you experience any trouble with uh, the glasses uh, with a long procedure or?
0: Uh, No, no, I was initially I thought, you know, how am I going to wear 3D glasses for for a four or five hour operation Um, that actually you don't actually notice you're wearing the glasses. And because you get such good, um, your vision is so much better than traditional laparoscopic surgery. Um, you actually don't mind wearing the glasses, you, you know, and, and getting the 3D vision. So I've not found um, it's, it's prohibited wearing the 3D, 3D glasses. And, you know, some of my colleagues have gone out and bought their own sort of 3D glasses, which are more bespoke to them. And, you know, I just use the generic ones, but, you know, it's fairly flexible. Like, that. you don't have to use the, the 3D glasses that are provided by the robotics company. Um, you know, they're the sort of standard 3D glasses that you can, Buy from Amazon or any other sort of shop that you want. So, so I, I haven't found that an, an issue at all.
1: Okay, interesting. I think. Uh, and and now it's more a technical question uh, because I'm, I'm kind of a CEO of a company, so I'm looking at the, the technical details of the product and um, the the joystick that uh, you use to control the the three uh, instruments and and the scope. Like in the in the Davinci, there, there are, you you put your finger and uh, and your thumb into a, kind of a jaws and, and and you mm-hmm. operate like that. Like it seems like with the Versus, it's kind of a different approach with the, the joystick. You have more buttons, maybe no foot switch. It's a, it's a little bit different in uh, controlling the yeah, instruments. So, so
0: it's, it, it's all it's all hand controls. Um, so it is very much like um, if you had a PlayStation controller and split it in half, one hand goes in the left hand and the other hand goes in the right hand. So it's got a joystick. It's got the finger graspers to open and close the jaws. You're, your your hands and you know moved on the actual arms uh, and then it's got some buttons for the diathermy and coagulation um uh, and actually um with with the sort of uh, virtual training that you you do on the console um you, you develop muscle memory quite quickly and uh, and when you're doing the operation you know where all the buttons are and, and i can flick between all three different instruments and flip them between different hands very quickly. Now it's not. It's not. Not. Uh, it's. It's. It's actually very um, easy to use. I would say.
1: Okay. Okay. So uh, it's it's kind of like a, a PlayStation. I will come back to the the, the topic of the training, but uh, before that, uh, mm-hmm. the one of the benefits of a, a soft tissue surgical robot is to scale in is scaling the movement. Can you explain uh, for someone who doesn't know this kind of robot how does it work? The scaling of the instrument. Do you have to to choose the, the scaling ratio? Or, or does yeah. It
0: so so, um, so you know, there's different scaling ratios. So you know, depending on how quickly you move your hand and how quickly it moves inside. Um, uh, I've not really, I've not changed too much of the scaling. I use the sort of the sort of middle of the ground scaling um, options um, for what I do in my operating. Um, uh, so, so, it's, but, but, yeah, you can use different different scales. So, uh, you can move small hand movement can move the instrument faster and in and, and a bigger stroke uh, with inside inside the abdominal cavity. Um, but, but, you know, I've, for me, I don't change change scaling too much.
1: Okay, so the default setting is, uh, is, is, uh, is fine for you, right? Yeah,
0: so, the default setting. And I, I think my colleagues use the default setting, and, and I don't think people change it very much.
1: Okay, okay. And it's more like an engineering feature feature for engineers. Uh,
0: probably, okay. yeah. Okay,
1: okay. So um, when it comes to uh, such kind of a big, I would say big uh, capital equipment, but uh, also the, I mean, the Versus robot is, is on a modular and, and smaller form factor than the existing um, platform on the market. There are always some questions about the, you know, the setup, the layout. Can you share your experience? You've done probably dozens of cases with the system in uh, in various uh, yeah. uh, procedures. How how does the setup uh, work? And are there any specific constraints on, you know, placing the bedside units? Uh, what's your uh, feedback on that?
0: So, so w- one of the reasons we got the Versus system is because our operating theaters are in two different uh, two different blocks. And actually, we transport the robot between these two different blocks, and it goes down a lift, across a corridor, up a lift. Okay. Um, so, so today, um, you know, one of our systems is being used in one block, and the other system has been transported to the other block to do some guiding procedures. So, so it's, it's quite versatile like that, and it's very easy to move. We we actually store a lot of our equipment in a cupboard. So, essentially, um, if I'm operating tomorrow, um, you know, the nursing staff will will wheel the the uh, the bedside units out of the cupboard they'll wheel them into theatre um, they will arrange them around the bedside um, they'll plug all the cables in and they'll plug it into the console um, they'll drape all the arms um, and, and then we'll sort of brief about the patient patient will be put to sleep patient will be brought into the anaesthetic rooms I will um, put my ports in and then dock the arms next to the patient and then then the operation begins so that whole process doesn't you know it seems like it takes it would take a long time but actually um from you know from me putting the laparoscopic ports and then docking the arms now it, it's down to about seven eight nine ten minutes you know um uh, so that that's a quite quite a quick docking process um uh, and doesn't add much time time to the operation at all
1: yeah, understood And uh, I understood also that, uh, you know, this this system brings uh, some kind of uh, flexibility in terms of planning either a fully robotic procedure or integrate a laparoscopic instrument for specific portions of the procedure. How does it work? Did you, is it something that you experienced? Yeah,
0: so initially, you know, during your learning curve, sometimes you might not want to do the whole operation robotically and, and do part, you know, we used to break up parts of the operation and do... Do parts of the operation laparoscopically and part of the parts of the operation robotically, and and that's the system allows you to do that because you can undock and dock the arms quite quickly. So you know, um, for example, if I so so now I try and do most of the operation robotically, um, but if I'm doing multi-quadrant operations, which I, which I often do for my rectal cancer work, um, I would dock the robot in one way to do one part of the operation. Then, um take out all the instruments and arms and reposition the robot to do another quadrant in the pelvis um uh so so and and you know we could actually reposition the arms three times during an operation to get the optimal um performance of the robot and 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 make the operation smoother and easier um so so it, because you can take the instruments and uh, take the arms on and off quite quickly it's quite quick to change your quadrants uh, and do multi-quadrant surgery with with this with, with this system
1: yeah understood and uh, another technical question so there are these uh, fancy uh, leds uh, lighting and on, uh, on each arm is it uh, mm-hmm. what's the information that is uh, conveyed through this uh, so, lighting? so
0: yeah so, so, so yeah so the the lighting is quite key because um each arm has its own color um okay. which then corresponds to your console in it and and it tells you which instrument Cause it's color coded so mm-hmm. if my fenestrated grasper is on a pink it, it comes up as a pink icon um it will be the pink arm with the pink light that it's controlling so i can because it's an open platform i can i can look at the console and then look at the arm as well and, and make sure there's no clashing and the arms are not you know getting close to each other uh, so it helps it helps with communication in terms of which arm is being controlled by by which icon on the console
1: Okay understood and uh, uh, about the introducing a, a robot into a, a hospital uh, people look at the cost and the recurring cost. Can you talk about the the disposables what 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 kind of disposables uh, comes with the the versus system and how do you reprocess this uh, equipment
0: so so the, the actual um disposables um you know there's 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 a few there's a range of instruments there's fenestrated graspers. There's, there's a hook uh which uses diathermy this uh, bipolar scissors bipolar Marylands um, uh, and um, and needle holders for suturing uh, all these instruments can be um, quite easily manually taken off the robotic arm and 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 you know put to a, put, put, put into the sterilization unit they they go through our normal sterilization process so we haven't had to change any of our sterilization process our sterilization process outsourced to another company outside the hospital so everything gets packaged up in a tray and gets sent to the sent to the uh, sterilization company and then it comes back to the hospital um, all clean um the actual robot tells you how many uses you have on, on the, on the instrument. So it will flag up if a particular instrument is losing its life and then you, then you would bin it. Um, so it's, it's fairly clever like that. Um, uh, but in terms of sterilization, it, it's, 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 we haven't had to introduce anything new, which has been easier to implement this yeah. sort of thing without having to have lots of new things going on in the yeah. hospital.
1: Okay. Okay. Understood. So we talked a lot about the, the technical side. Now uh, moving on to the the clinical. Let's start with the basics. What's the training like? So I I have read that uh, there is kind of a seven step process, which which can seem a, a bit long, but uh, you know to, that leverage different kind of technologies like e learning, virtual reality, simulation, uh, maybe uh, mm-hmm. also preceptors. Can you walk us through this uh, this uh, training steps that uh, that obviously you went through? Uh, your yeah, so
0: so I mean, I could take you back. so we we bought the robots in April last year. They arrived in the hospital, um and then we had three months to organize ourselves to to work out all the uh, to work out who you know which teams are going to go up for training, when they're gonna go for training, when we could do our first clinical cases. Uh, we then went up for we then had to do um, virtual training. so with with the console comes almost um, like a PlayStation box, which has get uh, sort of uh, tasks on it, um, uh, with, you know, sort of cutting circles out with, with the instruments and doing suturing and asthmosis and different, you know, it's about 10 or 12 different tasks uh, and it actually measures your performance. Um, so when I did the training, you'd have to do six hours on the virtual trainer. It doesn't have to yeah. be all together. So you would, you know, if you were having a break in between your theatre cases, you'd go and sit on the console for an hour and, and, and do your, do your yeah. virtual training. It's now moved to a metrics based system. So the better and better you are and the better you meet your targets, then the shorter your virtual training is. So um, so once you've done that, you do some online training modules, looking around the safety of, of the robots and, and different aspects of that. Um, uh, and then we went on a, um, a cadaveric course. Uh, we went to ERCAD in France. Uh, Strasbourg um, yep. uh, and that was a team's training so uh, two surgeons and two nursing staff um, went out as one team uh, uh, and we we learned how to set up the robot, drape the robot uh, and then we had um, practice on cannabis uh, to do specific operations. For me it was right hemicolectomy and low anterior section uh, and then the week, uh, the, the, the week, so we finished our training on the Thursday and the following Monday, we did our first clinical cases. Um, and that was a dry run in the morning. So that would be the whole team would be there to set the robot up to, to see how it would fit in the operating theater. And then the, in the afternoon, we did our first clinical case. Um, and in our, with our first clinical case, there was a preceptor. So someone who's already used the CMR system, who's got past their learning curve and, and they were there really for support. They're not there to tell you how to do the operation, but they're there to teach you how to use the robot and, and iron out any sort of difficulties you may be having. Uh, and it was just nice to have someone that's used the the system there to, to help out. Um, we did we did five precepted cases, um, uh, and then after that, um, I moved on to doing operations uh, by myself uh, with my consultant colleague, who was also training with me and. For our first few cases, we did your um, consultant operating to make sure it was safe. Um, uh, and then once we, once we felt we were in a position where we could operate, you know, by ourselves, then we would then do robotic operations, uh, by ourselves as individual consultants.
1: Okay. Understood. And so you mentioned, uh, the, the learning curve, so you've been using the, the robot for six months and so it, it's, it's, uh... Uh, many surgeons have been also trained on this system. How long is the, the learning curve typically for this kind of a uh, robot?
0: So, so we we uh, so in our business case we we said that the learning curve would be around twenty cases, um, uh, so yeah. sort of estimate. Um, in fact, I I I found that it was fairly easy to use, and our learning uh, our learning curve in terms of. Measuring it in terms of theatre utilizations, are getting back to our normal number of cases per per list. We I, I was we were not back to our normal theatre theatre utilisation after ten days, uh, ten cases, um, which was which was a huge achievement for us because it meant that we could you know do our two colorectal cancer resections on on each list. Um, uh, so 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 that so um, so that was that was a, that was a really positive thing from from the learning curve. Um, I think it helped because I had another consultant operating with me and we were doing dual consultant and, and that helped with the training process. Um, it helped that we had a lot of support from the company. So we always had an implementation lead and an engineer with us, uh, which meant that the operations went, you know, the, the robotic systems working smoothly and not having too much difficulty, meaning that we could actually perform perform the robotic case while having the robotic equipment breaking down and not being able to do the robotic case. Um, And in terms of case selection, so initially for our first two or three cases, we we did try and select the sort of easier cases that, um, uh, you know, not sort of high BMIs and and, um, uh, uh, the, the sort of easier operations like right hemicolectomies. But then after three or four cases, I said, well, I can't really keep selecting cases because those are not the cases that are coming through the... The clinics and, and we just have to operate on, on, on whoever's actually needs an operation um, uh, and what we did was rather than do case selection we would do uh, select parts of the case to do robotically and you know may, and, and perhaps you know for, for when you're doing colorectal cancer resections we could split it up into its um, modular parts and maybe do two two parts out of the three robotically and finish off laparoscopically uh, and that way we managed to build up quite quickly in terms of our learning curve
1: Okay, very interesting. This uh, this uh, capability to uh, to switch from uh, robotics to conventional and to, to split the, the procedure in uh, in several parts. So I have maybe a naive question, but uh, how many procedures have you done so far, and do, have you seen any clinical results, or is it too early to 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 tell what are the benefits of the robot?
0: So so are we, we we're running a multi plat a multi specialty robotics program. So it's colorectal, urology, gynecology. Um, uh and uh, uh upper, upper gastrointestinal surgery um so we're going to reach 100 robotic cases this week um, you, which is which, which is a really a big achievement for the trust um, you know within six to seven months um for, I, I haven't actually counted how many cases i've done but i think it's 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 over 30 now uh, and these are big colorectal cancer resections so um uh, uh you know, uh, we, we, the, the robots are in use. You know, one robot's in use five days a week, and, and one robot's use two or three times a week at the moment. As more and more more and more surgeons um, get trained, um, we hopefully will see that the robots being utilized, um, you know, five days a week um, for both systems.
1: Okay, so I have a, another question from a, a surgeon who, who who was wondering. Uh, that does the the use of this robot brought something to your practice that you did not anticipate? Because uh, I guess you, you you prepared a lot the introduction of this uh, this robot into your practice, expecting some benefits. Are there things that you got with the robot that you were not uh, thinking about before?
0: Yeah. So um, I mean, in terms of uh, clinical outcomes, we haven't got the. We haven't analysed our data fully yet because we don't have the volume of cases to, to have some meaningful data. But what we are definitely seeing, is seeing less pain in our patients, um, particularly around the port sites. Okay. Um, and I think that's because, uh, because mm-hmm. the virtual pivot point and it's not causing much stress on the abdomen. Um, uh, I'm seeing um, faster gut resolution. So for our colorectal cancer patients, their gut is functioning quicker. Um, definitely less blood loss, um, you know, than traditional laparoscopic surgery. Um, you know, when, when we're actually doing the operation, the, the planes are not blo- as bloodied as as it can get with laparoscopic surgery. Um, I think one of the main benefits I've seen is is the high BMI patient, it's a high body mass index patient. Um, so you know, um, I've, a few weeks ago I did I did a, a high body mass index patient. I think it should have BMI forty six um, uh, for a cancer, and it's something. It's a patient that I wouldn't. I don't think I would have been able to operate laparoscopically very well. And, and may not have been able to complete it, complete the operation laparoscopically, but robotically, I, I managed to do the operation robotically, and it wasn't it wasn't that stressful. Um, uh, and the patient did very well, went home on day three, and um, uh, that that's something that I've seen that the, the high body mass index patients, and I've done a few now, um, the, the robotic system is, is much more capable than, than straight straight laparoscopic surgery. So that that's one that's one thing that I, I think. Um, is, is much better for me. You know, uh, it was, you know, having a patient with high body mass index is, it, you know, it's not very nice to operate because it, it, it's quite difficult and challenging, but now I don't actually see that as a, um, as a problem anymore. I, I, I find that actually it's okay to operate with a robot.
1: Yeah, so I understand you are building uh, your clinical, clinical data right now and, and what you've seen is that uh, it facilitates the, the most complex procedures, uh, for instance, with uh, high BMI uh, patients. So, talking about the the data, uh, CMR Surgical is talking about uh, you know a registry for this uh, Versus robot. For someone mm-hmm. like me who is not on the clinical side, could you explain what is this uh, registry and and how it works?
0: So, essentially, the registry captures all the data from the robots uh, um, that you know. So, from docking docking times, using the robot ergonomics, how the surgeons using it, and it it all gets sent through. The internet down to sort of servers and get stored and that data can be analyzed and used and essentially it will you know that that huge amount of data is probably what um is the most important thing about robotics because that data can tell you or, or will eventually i think be used in the long term to try and um, improve almost improve autonomy of a robot and you know um looking at where errors c- you know, errors have occurred and, and can we reduce our errors when we're doing du- an operation. So I suspect in, you know, in several years time when the data and everything's, when we've got lots and lots of data and it's all being analysed, the robot will be able to tell us not to, you know, cut this vessel or there is a potential that there's going to be bleeding here. So be be aware and things like that. So so that that's the power of the data that, that's being captured.
1: Okay, understand. So it's uh, preparing the the future and, uh, and more intelligence into the the surgical robots that uh, that will yeah. leverage this uh, this data from uh, coming from various uh, hospitals. So you 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 mentioned that you've been using the robot for maybe uh, six seven months uh, now. Um, so I think I mean the initial goal of, of this phase was to learn and get uh, accustomed you and the team uh, with the robot and being able to to move to. Uh, Uh, your normal practice uh, and doing all the robotically. So what's your goal in uh, 2023 and and, and the year forward uh, with the versus robot, with the next goal with uh, the robot?
0: So I think think we want to increase the number of robotic operations that are being offered um, across all specialties. Um, We've trained 10 consultant surgeons so far and we're going to be sending another three surgeons in the very near future. So to expand expand the number of people that are going to be uh, using the robot. Um, uh, upper, we, we've, we've trained uh, two upper gastrointestinal surgeons and they're starting doing their robotic. Um, so so upper, upper, upper gastrointestinal surgery traditionally hasn't had much robotics experience. So, so that's something that we're planning to, to improve and, and, and do uh, do operations there. Um, I think I'd like to expand it to day surgery cases so you know our sort of hernias no. gallbladder operations and put it into our day surgery unit and see if that can you know be uh, doing high volume day surgery cases uh, which I think is, is 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 doable with this sort of platform um, and potentially branch out into emergency surgery so emergency surgery is the tricky one because we don't know what surgeries are going to be coming through the Emergency rems, but definitely we would want to try and see if we can utilize the robot doing emergency surgeries.
1: Okay, so uh, expand to, uh, to to new procedures, uh, going to high volume uh, inpatient uh, procedures, and and uh, and next uh, going forward. So maybe one last question about the about the versus um, how how does the, does the cost compare to a conventional uh, platform that is commercially available? Is it a lower cost? Uh, competitive advantage that is offered by uh, CMR Surgical today?
0: Um, so so uh, I think uh, all, all robots have their advantages and disadvantages. It, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't say one robot is better than the other robot. Um, uh, and you have to see what's being offered by each platform, and each platform has different offerings. I think with CMR Versus, it's a modular system, it's easy to move, it's flexible. Um, you could probably do more more you could probably do more multi quadrant operations at higher volume um, and it you know it's lower cost um so you know we have to talk about value based healthcare not everyone can afford you know a really expensive robot that has all the sort of complex devices like staplers and, and things like that so so you know you've got to think how can you bring robotics to to the mass population and you know we live in a constrained society with 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 cost of living crisis at the moment. Um, so, so this sort of platform can develop uh, robotics in, in in centers like like ours. Um, um, you know, it doesn't have, it doesn't have things like the energy device or staplers or clippers, um, which other, which other platforms already have. Um, does that mean it will never have it? I I don't think so. I think the company is very, um, um, uh, it, you know it, it develops it develops its equipment very quickly and it listens listens to its stakeholders and, and feedback I think those those sorts of um, instruments will come on stream you know at some point in the future and probably very shortly um, uh, uh, so we would have to see you know where does this robot sit in one or two years time with the extra instrumentation that it may have um, but yeah I think it, there's advantages and disadvantages of both and, and my gut feeling tells me that If you're in a robotic center, I think it's going to be multi-platform use. I don't think you can either say, you can either use this robot or this Mm -hmm. robot. I think you're going to need a variety of robots to make sure that your center is a center of robotic excellence. So, you know, um, we might need a CMR system. We might need another system from another competitor. Um, I think there'll be a, a variety of robots to use for different types of operations and different settings.
1: Thanks for listening to the first part of the discussion with Dr. Vanash Patel, general surgeon practicing colorectal surgery with a versus robot in London. In the next episode, Dr. Patel will share how he built the business case for not one but two robots with a multi-specialty program, two things he recommends to surgeons looking at purchasing a robot, and what are his feedbacks about telepresence, virtual reality surgical training, surgical video and data analytics app, and remote surgery. Thank you all for listening to the Less Invasive podcast, your source for minimally invasive surgery and assistive technologies for the operating room and radiology environment. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend.